I'm Jeff Eichler. And I'm Kirsten Rickert. And we are the hosts of the Getting Unstuck podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, do you need help in becoming more effective at teaching virtual classes? Well, NVTA, the National Virtual Teaching Association, has a semester program that is college accredited and designed to help you become more successful as a virtual teacher. A few of the topics that will be focused on are establishing relationships in the virtual environment, virtual instruction best practices, differentiation in the virtual classroom, and managing virtual resources, among others. NVTA is an affiliate partner with Teaching Learning Leading K-12, and there's so much there to help you be successful in the virtual classroom. Uh, so take a look. Go to my website, stephenmaletto.com slash sponsors, find the NVTA logo and click on it to take you to their website. Happy learning. The holidays are on their way and they can be a particularly stressful time of year if you don't have a plan. Well, have I got a solution for you? Join my friend Lynn with ConnectFlow Grow in her launch of Stress Less Holidays. Through this live Zoom webinar, Lynn will teach you how to evaluate your stress and develop a plan to reduce it. This is an abbreviated version of her 21-day stress-less challenge to give you the best tools in the shortest time frame. A less stress holiday is priceless. Your investment of $17 per person or $2,500 flat rate per organization is the first step towards taking control of holiday stress. Learn more about stress-less holidays and join by going to my website, stephenmaletto.com sponsors, click on the ConnectFlow Grow logo, and the link will take you to where you can find out more information and sign up. Time for you to stress less during the holidays. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Chris Hole. Chris is a former seventh grade social studies teacher, and he's now the founder and chief product officer of Otis, a Chicago-based ed tech company that centralizes work for educators, students, and their families, eliminating the chaos of multiple systems. So much to learn today. You're going to really like this episode. Thanks for listening. And by the way, before you go, it would be so cool if you would go to my website, stephenmaletto.com slash reviews, and rate and review the podcast. Could you do that for me? That'd be so cool. You're awesome. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. Boone Titanium Rings, found on the web at boonrings.com, is an affiliate partner of Teaching Learning Leading K-12. And I'm also a customer. I have this really cool ring that's got these carved pistons and, and stars in it. I love it. They make rings of titanium that are carved, laser cut, and engraved, as well as they have inlays of many types of materials like meteorite, acrylic, wood, carbon fiber, and so many other types. They also have special collections that are incredible designs. One of the top sellers are the Gamer Rings, the Stealth Series, and the Black Zirconium. As a note, they also make earrings, pendants, cufflinks, and for you musicians, they make cool trumpet mouthpieces. Love it. Go to boonrings.com and at checkout, use my code, capital T, capital L, capital L, capital K, number 12, and you'll get 10% off your purchase. So go check them out. I love my ring, and I know that you will love yours. <laughs> You are listening to Teaching Learning Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Chris Hole is the founder and chief product officer of Otis, a Chicago-based ed tech company that centralizes work for educators, students, and their families, eliminating the chaos of multiple systems. Chris grew up in the suburbs of Chicago and attended New Trier High School 
where he poured most of his energy into playing basketball and other sports. He attended Denison University, where Chris continued to play basketball and became inspired by his professors to pursue teaching. In 2007, Chris became a full-time 7th grade social studies teacher. As he taught, Chris grew frustrated with fractured EdTech systems, which took his focus away from helping students learn. In 2010, he co-wrote a grant to bring one device to every student in the social studies department. On Leap Day in February of 2012, the idea for Otis was born. Chris was nominated in 2016 for NSBA's 20 to Watch EdTech Leader. NSBA is National School Boards Association and has been showcased in the Chicago Tribune's Blue Sky Innovation Series. He has presented at a variety of summits and conferences, including Ed Surge in St. Louis, Silicon Valley, Los Angeles, Miami, iPad, Palooza, and so much more. In 2016, Otis was nominated for two Cody Awards. Chris Hole is a husband and a father of four. His children are 6'5", and he has, he has uh, three-year-old twin girls. Chris, it's awesome to talk with you today. Welcome to the show. Say, hey, say hi to everyone. Hey, glad to be here, Steve. I'm really excited to talk to you. Well, I'm glad you're here, and uh, there's so much going on. And you being from Chicago, i got to ask you, Sox or Cubs? So I'm a, I'm a diehard Cub fan, but my dad, my father, is a diehard White Sox fan, and he's slowly been converting my son to join him on the on the White Sox side of things, being uh, bribed with a, a Tim Anderson bobblehead did the trick. And so my son is going to the White Sox, but I'm a Cub fan. But I, I try to pay attention to both so I can talk to my dad about the, the baseball teams. That's so cool. And just, just a note, you know, I have father who is an avid White Sox fan, and uh, I grew up in a place where I got uh, WGN and uh, could, could see the, the Chicago sports teams and, you know, it just drove him nuts when I was when I would watch Cubs. He's like, "Can you stop watching the Cubs?" And uh, you know, it's funny. Is a couple of years ago, I got a chance to go go through Chicago and see a White Sox game and a Cubs game in the same weekend. And what was really funny about that was the White Sox were playing. I'm pretty sure they were playing uh, a team out of Texas. I'm trying to think. The, oh, the Rangers. The, the Rangers. Rangers. Thank you. Rangers. Thank you. <laughs> and. Uh, Wow, I can't believe I drew a blank there. They're playing the Rangers. And so they are they have red, white, and blue colors, right? And when I got there, I'm with my family. We're walking around, and we were buying some hot dogs and stuff and uh, getting ready to sit in our seats. And notice there's a lot of red, white, and blue here. I'm like, wow, there must be a lot of Rangers fans. What was funny is when you, when you looked, those weren't Rangers fans. They were anti-Cubs fans. <laughs> they, they, had these, they had these Cubs shirts on them that, that said things like, you know, um, um, Southside's uh, hit squad <laughs> and, and uh, you know, just anti-Cub shirts is primarily what those shirts were. <laughs> I thought that was funny. <laughs> no, it's definitely fun. The rivalry can be nice, uh, nice entertainment here in Chicago, especially during the Crosstown Classic is when the teams play together. That's so cool. That's so cool. It's, I got to tell you, it's those two, two cool places to go see uh, baseball. That's for sure. But, well, good stuff. Thanks for talking about that. And, and and let's shift to this. You were a classroom teacher. You taught seventh grade social studies. What did you like most about working with kids? I always found working with kids, I thought I thought the best moment was when you could unlock something. And they would have this, like, aha moment. And it could come from anything. It could be come from, again, social studies, you know, reading a primary source where all of a sudden they saw something that, you know, they didn't realize was there. Or um, we did a lot around like different perspectives of like, how do you look at a situation? And sometimes if you could really unlock it, this like, there is this kind of wonder that would kind of take over them in seventh grade. You know, I taught seventh and eighth grade, but really the seventh graders were really becoming themselves. They were finding themselves. They were really discovering who they were. 
And it was really cool to see them be, grow from, you know, a, a young child to an adolescent, which I know some people look at the teenage years as something that is not worth enjoying or something that you kind of stay away from. But for me, it was during those like, you know, teenage years that they really were coming into their own. And again, people refer them to them as kind of the formative years. And it was really amazing to see them begin to discover something that they might've learned or discover something about themselves. And there would really just be this aha moment that was really special and it was motivating. It really was like a driving energizing force to be able to help foster that or facilitate that. Very cool. I working with kids. I just, you know, never dull moment. And I'm just always amazed by what uh, they'd show, you know, they working in class and what uh, discussions you could have and uh, the interest that you could generate. So good stuff. I, if you could go back to you just before your first day as a seventh grade social studies teacher, what advice would you give you? <laughs> um, it's funny. My, uh, my sister is a, a special education teacher and she started teaching several years ago. I think she's five, six years in, but I remember her asking me like, what do, what about the first day? And I, I just, I always think it's like, going in there, understanding a curveball's coming and just do the best you can every day. And it was something where I remember I student taught, I student taught in, a, in two different schools. I had worked a lot with kids. I, you know, did a lot of coaching. There was nothing like being the teacher in your classroom on the first day where you're trying to establish this culture. You're trying to get to know your kids and you're not going to bat a hundred percent. And so this idea is you just have to go in there knowing that every day you're going to give it your best and you learn from the day before, but tomorrow's a new day and you, you got to bring it again. And uh, yeah, just, I, I, I think that would be my bit of advice. And the other one talking to some teachers, I actually had a meet and greet with my um, son and daughter's teacher the other day. I really think after the last year and a half in the pandemic, I hope educators know that there's, you know, there are people around who really appreciate and care for what they're doing. I, I heard just how isolating it felt. Like I think teaching is one of the most difficult professions out there. It's just it's so much pressure, but there's also this, you know, you're trying to connect to kids and you're trying to do all these things, administrative things, and it, it can be really difficult. And I hope they know that, you know, there's appreciation. And last year I think was isolating for so many people. I hope that they understand that, you know, the, as a, as a parent now that, you know, we're here to support and really appreciate all they're doing um, to know that there are other people in it. And uh, even though it's a tough job, it's really a, hopefully a worthwhile job for all of them participating. That, that's awesome. That's uh, really cool. Yeah. Cause I can't, I mean, this last year, this, this why is adults have been able to get even close to getting together again. <laughs> they, they embrace that so much. It's like, you know, let me have some sort of world where I, there's more people in it than just the little people on the little boxes in the, <laughs> in the screens or whatever. Good stuff. I, so Chris, in your bio, you noted that you, you noted this, Chris grew frustrated with fractured ed tech systems, which took his focus away from helping students learn. Could you talk about what you're talking about? Yeah. So it really became evident to me. I was the seventh grade team lead. So I was the one who was kind of, I was the social science teacher as we've talked about, but that we would come together as a team and the, the English teacher, the math teacher, the PE teacher, um, the Spanish and foreign language teachers, we would all be together and we'd be talking about kids. And, you know, we called it problem solving meetings or PST meetings where we would try to problem solve things. It could be around an in individual kid or it could be around a group of kids, you know, a cohort of kids. And it became apparent that we were sitting in this room and we were having these really important discussions about how do we help a student or how do we help a group of students 
And what ended up happening was we spent so much time jumping from like eight different systems, like one system would have grades and one system would have their behavior. And one system might have like their historical information of how were they in the past couple of years or Maybe we were looking at the, you know, the district tests or the district benchmarks, or maybe we were looking at the national benchmarks. And it was like, there was so much time and effort taken jumping between systems to try to get a better understanding of where the kid was at, who was the kid, what we needed to do, you know, what was the problem? Was the problem isolated to just one class or was it in all classes? Was it, you know, one skill, you know, maybe they were struggling in reading and writing, or maybe it was something else. There was so much information being pulled and then having to be synthesized together. But because we were going in all these different systems, it became, there wasn't enough time spent on actually problem solving the kid. It was all this data gathering. And I was just thinking to myself, there has to be a better way. And when we were, I was talking to one of my colleagues who was a sixth grade social studies teacher, he had the same, the same observations. And we really began going, how can we begin to create a more uh, synthesized or complete understanding of who a kid is? Because I think if you ask most teachers, what they enjoy most is that ability to connect to kids, right? I talked about the aha moments, but this ability to connect to a kid and be able to help them and grow, it's like, that's the rewarding part about teaching. It's all the administrative tasks of, you know, if you have, I had 150 kids and it's like, okay, if I have, you know, five tasks per kid, all of a sudden you're talking about that's 750 to-do items I have. It can all of a sudden take away the time from what's most valuable. I, I told my students to learn is an action that requires effort. And what I tried to do, and again, I, I was not always successful. I, my, my, hopefully my uh, success rate was higher than, you know, the MLB batters, you know, hitting only 30, you know, three, 30, <laughs> 30, 30% or 300% or 300 and not 300%, but, you know, batting 300 is, you know, quite an accomplishment. I hope I did better than that. But the idea here is that type of connection or that type of learning takes effort. And if we're, if we're putting obstacles in our place or challenges in our place, we don't even get to that part. And that's what I really felt. And I, that's really kind of where the idea of Otis kind of came from was this idea of how do we, instead of jumping to 10, 12 different platforms, how can we do the teaching that we need to do, do the measuring or the grading of where our kids how do we analyze that information so we can problem solve? And then how do we plan how to best help the kids moving forward? And it was really those pain points, I say, things that were more difficult than they should be that really led to trying to find a technology or a tool that help can, that can help you do it better. Because it, I need, you know, you got to be efficient. Efficiency reigns supreme because there's so much going on as, as, a, as a teacher. That's cool because it, and I understand what you're talking about. They got too many of those things going on there, and you know, it's just interfering with everything you're doing. Would you say this is kind of, you know, that K through 12 education has kind of been in, in hurt by, um, the ed, uh, by uh, the ed tech industry from this this manner? I mean, what, do you have any thoughts about how, you know, they they've probably done some <laughs> damage there? Yeah, I, I, I want to be careful because I, I, I was using a lot of these tools myself and a lot of the tools themselves have such great, um, great ambitions and hopes and aims. And it, it's really you no know, nothing malicious. But the, I, I think one, one of the things that happen is, you know, oftentimes these solutions are out there, these education technology products out there. You want to hyper focus on a single problem 
right? A single problem that you can solve. And that's, that's in a lot of ways, the way you should do it as a business. All right, let's focus on this really specific problem and then let's solve it. But what ended up happening was because we we've talked about, because I might have five to 10 individual tasks per kid, all of a sudden I then have five to 10 very specific tools that do those tasks. And then it becomes, well, how do they talk together? How do they work together? And this is where in a lot of ways, they might not have been designed with that in mind. They might've been designed with the idea of we're gonna solve this pain point. We're gonna solve this, this issue. And I think it really comes down to, you know, kind of a saying that I probably will butcher here, but the idea is, you focus in on the trees and miss the forest, right? Or, you know, it's this idea of like, sometimes we so are zoomed in so far, we don't realize that we're almost digging a silo or a moat around this very specific thing. But when you look back at what you're supposed to do as an entire teacher, all of these things, or even an educator, take teacher, like educators together, administrators and teachers, when you zoom out, sometimes you might find that the little things you were doing that were helping you in this very specific situation put you further away from your goal. And I, I really think the goal needs to be, you know, especially after the pandemic is around, we got to get engaged kids again. We got to get them back to enjoying school. Um, we got to measure where they are. And then we got to really help them maximize their learning. And I think that that really takes a holistic view of where a kid's at to be able to do that. And there are tools out there that can do that, but we have to be able to kind of pull it all back together and look at that big picture so that we can really help push kids to, to be the best they can be. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and, and it makes me want to ask you, and you kind of touched on some of this right in there, but the, the idea, I mean, we just, you know, we just spent a lot of time learning over the last year, how to do remote learning. And, and uh, in the beginning, not so pretty. <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, I think I think uh, remote again. I had, uh, as you mentioned, I have, my daughter started um, second grade today. My son started kindergarten today, and then my twins are going to be in pre K three next year. They were not in school last year, but I, I just. I mean, this is a little bit of backstory that I think, you know, I, I taught in the district my kids go to. So um, I taught for 11 years. Otis was, you know, kind of born from there and that my district uses Otis. So I've actually Otis I've dealt, I've had it as a teacher. I see my kids using it as a student. And then I also, as a family use Otis and interact with it. So I'm pretty attuned to it. My wife is also a former teacher and it was just, it was amazing to see just, the learning curve that was out there again in the at otis you know where we had to go completely remote how does that work how do you do that and all of a sudden you know i was talking to my teacher friends my former colleagues it's like how do you do something that i remember talking to a science teacher that i was very close with and she had the most amazing incredible experiments she really that's how she got kids engaged to her class she had these experiments that were captivating but also had so such great opportunity to teach and all of a sudden it was like how do you get that type of engagement and connection with a kid when all of a sudden they're just a box on a zoom and it's like are they going to follow the experiment? Because some of these experiments, you kind of have to like, hey, trust me, this, you know, prep work, this 15, 20 minutes of like, we're going to observe this and do this. And it's like, it's going to pay off. Well, that prompting is sometimes lost. Well, then all of a sudden the kid's in his room, he doesn't do it. He doesn't get that aha moment. Well, then that connection again is kind of like, how do you get it? Or for me personally, I remember when I was teaching, 
I really like to connect to kids. And it was like, maybe it was talking about the White Sox or talking about the Cubs. Or again, at the time, I'm going to date myself. It might've been talking about like Fortnite or talking about, you know, Project Runway or some of the shows that were going on. I, I, I could never figure out how a teacher could actually have those like sidecar conversations that helped bring the kids in. And that's why I really hope that, you know, this year we, the, the educators can really focus on that re-engagement because I mentioned before, you know, there was this isolating feeling from staff and we got to get them teachers feeling connected with each other, connected with the students because they're trying their best. I just don't know how possible that is. I think zoom can, can work. It, it can work well, but there, there's times you do need that moment to get together. Um, we luckily at Otis, I'm rambling. We were uh, we we got together for for a happy hour for the first time for, in like a year, and it was we anecdotally talked about several people talked about even just that short burst of conversation with somebody made the next day better when you were in these meetings where you needed to collaborate where there might have been some tension. Having that background of that connection allowed you to kind of push through it and achieve great things. That, that's, it's cool the way you just ended that talk, by the way. I didn't see it as babbling. I, I love what you're talking about. And, and it, especially to end it that way, because you guys were impacted as well. You, and to, to share that and just those feelings right there, that idea of, you know, let's, we got to do something together here because this is uh, that feeling that we, we do work together in a common cause for something, which is, you know, I think that's one of the biggest things that's come out of all of this stuff is how much as humans, we appreciate interaction with people, not through boxes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We, we need to be able to have that actual connection. And I, yeah, we try. And it's, I think, in, again, tangentially, I think in like the Zoom or the video calls, what, you know, whatever system people are using, I have found that the one-on-one -on -one conversations are okay. It's really that group, that, that group time that becomes hard where hard to read body language when someone's going to talk when someone not all of a sudden you're trying to like again you're a former educator like the reading of a room i used to take pride in my ability to read the room right be able to tell i cannot read the the screen room so to speak if you want to say where how do you like understand the body language when you're only focused on the head like are you slouching are you this and it's like it's so much harder to read the room. And I, that was something I really thought helped me with the, building that connection. It, it does. You know, that, that whole idea, that's one of the, you know, the magic tricks that you teach teachers, which is the idea that you've got to be reading the room. You've got to be understanding and paying attention to the body language and doing all that sort of stuff. Cause that's when you're going to know it might be time to turn the channel or you really need to address whatever's going on back there that is not focused on whatever you're trying to talk about. <laughs> and it's, it, you know, through these boxes, that's talk about a big, a big way of trying to, you know, figure out uh, how to get them engaged and so forth is uh, a big part of the this world of the virtual land and remote learning. So, uh, you know, one of the things that we're going to talk about is the development of a learning management system. Well, let's talk about your transition from a seventh grade social studies teacher to someone who in 2016 was named a 20 to watch educational technology leader by the National School Boards Association. How this transition happen? I mean, that's a big deal. Yeah, this is a, I would like to say it was a fluke, but if we want to like take, I, I, it's, it's a struggle. I got nominated by a colleague and it was really, really um, humbling to, to know that I was making that impact on my students and my colleagues. And I, I think it was twofold. I think that 
I really try to be very practical with my use of technology. Like I want the technology to make something easier. I'm not the most like I'm going to use tech just to use tech. I really try to find something that's going to help me be more efficient, be more effective. And so what, one of the big transitions that happened was um, Otis, you know, the, the, the idea, the idea of Otis started, you know, on, in 2012, we didn't really get going until 2013, but I was still in the classroom. And I think one of the, the reasons I was honored was the idea that I was doing two things. I was um, helping develop Otis, which was beginning to gain some traction and beginning to gain usage at the time in 2016. But then also I was beginning to take a little bit more of a leadership role in some of my uh, work within the district where how do we use the data and information um, around kids, which is again, which we talked about getting this more complete profile and, being able to use it and being able to communicate it and really trying to meet with my colleagues of like, how do we, how do we achieve this together? And it was really one of those things where um, I think those two paths together had me put into that. But for me, it really seemed like it was overnight where I just had been doing a little bit at a time as like going back to my original advice, like every day I tried to do something a little bit better. And that might be like, Oh, I want, going to a really concrete example. When I first started teaching, I kind of mirrored what my predecessor had done. She was my mentor. She was incredible. She had her kids write in a notebook and, you know, like kind of a five-star notebook, they would write, you know, a spiral notebook, they would go in and then she would take that notebook home and read it. And that's how she got to know the kids. And I didn't want to, I was maybe lazy. I'll say efficient. I think, you know, there's a fine line between the two. I sometimes say like the best time hacks are the borderness of being lazy and being inefficient. But the idea was I didn't want to lug home 150 notebooks. Like that just wasn't feasible. I wanted to watch maybe the Cubs game or the White Sox game, or I'm a big uh, NBA fan. I might want to watch basketball. That's what I want to do. So how could I be more efficient? So what I began to have happening was I began to have my students write a blog. And we created this kind of like walled garden where my kids could blog and I could see it and they, and we kept it very private, but then I could be reading it. If I was just on an iPad or on my computer, I could read it, or maybe I'd be able to read it at other times. I didn't have to lug around these notebooks and I could quickly transfer from kid to kid. And that was actually one of the first features we built into Otis, this idea of a blog so that you could do this within Otis. Um, I was very, um, selfish. I don't know how many people, actually, I do know how many people I use the blog the most, but people still use it. But there are other things that got added to Otis where how do we make this a little bit more efficient? And to me, it really happened by, okay, I'm going to take this notebook to get to know kids. And now I'm going to put it online. Awesome. Um, I also worked with uh, one of the co-founders of Otis, where we looked at NWEA data, which is um, around literacy and reading and, and math. And we wanted to find ways to help our kids become better at informational reading and writing. And so we looked at this data point in this assessment that my district gave, and then we really tailored how to make this literacy, which was again, tied to our standards. And we focused in on that. And again, that was like one little action and those little actions built up. And all of a sudden, when I look back, it seemed like, whoa, I was trying to do a lot to help the kids. And I kept on trying to communicate this to anybody and anybody who would listen. And it started by helping my colleagues maybe with a printer issue or a smart board issue, or maybe something on their phone issue. And then it got into, Oh yeah, I can help you also do educational technology. And it, it kind of grew from that. That That's cool. Cause that's uh, that whole 
I mean, and, and especially like what you just said, where you're helping your colleagues with different stuff, I could see that uh, kind of, you know, expanding that desire to know more and figure out how to make it work. But, and I know you kind of touched on this just a little bit, but do you remember, you know, one of the things that uh, lots of people want to write books and the numbers is really interesting because there's millions of books out there. And, and in this world today where you can self-publish, it's expanded the number of authors. And one of the things that when you look at though, compared to the number of people that exist in the world, it's still a small percentage because what happens is that people have the idea to write a book, but they never follow through with it. You know, maybe they get started or whatever. I mean, I would think the same thing with developing a learning management system. I mean, what do you remember that that thing that said, you know what, I'm going to, it made you go, I'm going to get this done because I got this idea. And so it went from the, do you remember that spark that just said, I'm sitting down, I'm going to write this out. I'm going to get whoever I need to, and we're going to get this done. Yeah, I actually do. I think there, there are two distinct moments. So I, I kind of hopefully can tell this not on a soapbox and not on a <laughs> long history you know, detour, but there are two moments really that kind of made this possible. And the first doesn't exactly relate to Otis, but I kind of think it's important to talk. So the first was I, my Pete, who was the sixth grade social studies, he and I kept on talking to each other around how do we get each kid a device? How do we get each kid this piece of technology? Because we had done it for a couple small projects and it was so effective. And we began just to talk in the morning about, man, what if this could happen? What if that could happen? And we ended up writing a grant and that grant got us the device. And it was one of those things that became like this conversation went into, I I like to write, even though I don't know if I'll ever be able to get a book down. I do find that like, I sometimes like to just journal, like, you know, just like free write. But we got the grant all of a sudden it's like, wow, we made this happen. We actually got a device in every kid's hand. We then started doing the same thing around Otis. Like, man, what are the pain points? What if again, you know, funding were no means if time was endless. Again, if, what if we could build the perfect system? And we just began like, wouldn't it be great if it could do this? Wouldn't it be great if it could do that? And we really just were talking and just frameworking it. And then what ended up happening, the moment you're talking about was all of a sudden, the English teacher in our building, her name's Leslie Jaffe. She since is retired. I'm still friends with her. She's a wonderful woman. She goes, will you talk to my high school friend who is in, he's a, he's a business leader and he's a business leader. And we all of a sudden had this epiphany of going like Pete and I go, wait a minute, we've dre- dreamt, we've dreamt and we've discussed and we've outlined this ideal system to help you teach, grade, analyze and plan. We've, we've thought about it. We have this like concept that, you know, it's probably a 90,000 foot view, but we have this concept. I wonder if there is business value here. And that was the meeting that was on leap day in 2012, where we sat down and it was really kind of, we we actually used the baseball analogy, which is funny how this kind of coincidentally came up. We, we had these uh, four-part idea where we were like, okay, if the conversation goes pretty well, we're going to kind of go for a single. Like, here's this like little kind of idea. And we kind of progressed. And then the full idea of Otis was like the home run. Like, it was pitching something that would be huge. It wouldn't be something, again, talking about, it wouldn't be solving one little problem. It would be taking a step back and trying to solve this huge problem. And you would need quite a big appetite to be able to do it. And during this meeting, the other co-founder, Andy, who's the business leader, he just got it. And he saw that in other industries, this has already happened. Like in the medical field, we have this profile where all your information lives so that you can go from doctor to doctor and not have it all of a sudden it be lost. Or if you're in an industry like sales, you might have something like Salesforce that's pulling it together or in marketing their systems. It's like, where is this 
in education. And it's like, oh yeah, there's this file, this permanent file that I remember as a kid being terrified of. It's like, it's going to be my permanent file. But there's really this idea of like, how do we get this information from one teacher one year to the next year? Or how do we get it from maybe the PE teacher connected with a kid, but how do we get that information to the art teacher? It was the same idea. And he got it. And he got that it wasn't this little thing that could be done. Like you had to really kind of go big or go home. You had to go for the home run, which I don't know if I like my baseball games with only home runs and strikeouts, but the idea was that's kind of the approach of there is something missing. And it was really then where it's like, Hey, let's give it a shot. And I think we're all a little bit surprised. Like we, we talked about it for a full year because it was a lot to kind of talk about. And it was amazing. In 2013, we started building and it was like, we built, I'd call it like a proof of concept. We saw if it would really be effective. That took us a year. We took the time. And really in 2015, 16, we really said, okay, we got it. Let's go. But we've still been learning. And it's like in 2015, 16, we started building and we didn't really start selling until 2017, 18. Like it's crazy. Again, if we were to put this on a history timeline, it doesn't, oh yeah, it'd be a pretty short timeline if we look at the history, but when you really look at it, it's been, it's been in development. It was really that moment of being able to brainstorm this would, what's more difficult than it should be. And then being willing to take that, that big swing. And um, I guess that would be the difference, you know, making an analogy between writing a blog and writing a book, right? A blog, you could just put out a little post, you can have a little, maybe a tweet, right? Oh, I can do a tweet. I can do it. But the full book is kind of going all in. And, and, and that's kind of what we tried to do. I, I love what you've done there. That's so cool. And thanks for, for sharing that. You know, one of the things that's really cool is it went from that inspiration to this cool uh, achievement that you've done. I mean, Otis serves 160 unique schools districts with over 1 million monthly users and has grown revenue by 300% annually. Tell us what Otis does. I mean, let's get really specific here. Yeah. So if we really break it down, we've tried to pull in all these tools or connect the tools that are being used to be able to get a more complete understanding of who a kid is. So what are the tools that we kind of pull in? The first set of tools we pull in are the tools that help you teach, which is like the facilitation of learning, which might be, hey, check out this video or read this primary source. We can link to things that are on the internet, right, that are available, or we can link to things that might be in someone's Google Drive or Microsoft Teams account. We can pull all that together and create like a nice um, organized set of activities, a playlist of sorts, so that you can facilitate the learning. Not all learning is going to be done online. You're going to have these things like pair share. You're going to do other things, but you kind of need that backbone and that structure within a single place. So we have the tools that allow you to do the teaching. We also have added tools that kind of are around the teaching about the communication. How do we communicate? Can we email? Can we text students? That can be done with an Otis. We wanna then again, capture that full like loop of what a teacher does. So you teach, after you've done your teaching and you've gotten kids engaged in what's happening, you move to the grading. Again, if grading is the pain point, we often talk about the pain point as our single words, but really what grading is, it's measuring student learning. And we really wanna be able to measure student learning as consistently and as quickly as possible. We don't wanna wait for the final or the midterm. We wanna be able to have it, you know, 
again, using language like formative assessments or check-ins. We want to be able to provide both the opportunity to do those, like the quick check-ins, the quick pulse checks, but also be able to do like district benchmark assessments, which can be, you know, taking on things with all of that, you know, that wide variety or wide gambit of what's possible. We are able to measure learning. So we are able to facilitate learning. We're able to measure learning. Then because Oda said it's, you know, the foundation is a, you know, this, this is like a four letter word for some educators, but it's a data company. I often like to use the word information. We gather all that information together and we can either look at an individual kid and say, this is how the teaching is going. This is how the learning is going. This is how their, their progress is going. We're measuring their learning. We're able to pull in things like I mentioned NWEA or ACT or SPAC, you name the assessment, we pull it in adding a layer. So you get this comprehensive understanding of who a kid is, but also a group of kids, which we call courts. We're able to put that together so that you can analyze. If I'm an individual teacher, maybe I got to focus in on just a couple kids. Maybe if I'm an administrator or I'm the team lead, maybe we got to look at a group of kids. Or maybe if I'm a superintendent, I got to look at buildings or groups of kids across multiple buildings. We're going to allow you to analyze. And then the key piece that really allows us to do something that I think is special is we also have this new feature, this new part of Otis that allows you to plan and progress monitor. One of the big things that happened, you know, with the pandemic is we, as I mentioned earlier, we got to get kids engaged. I think there was a lot of disengagement. People, kids all of a sudden falling away from school. Got to get them engaged. That's going to come through the connections. That's going to come through things outside of Otis and my, my thing, I think we're going to be able to help, help it, but it's really going to come from the teacher student connection. But this idea of monitoring progress for each kid. So the idea, if we're progress monitoring, okay, I want all my third graders to be able to read. Okay. That's a great goal. That starts in kindergarten. We have the ability to track that progress from kindergarten to first to second to third grade in the same system. Same could be said for, again, high school. If you're a a former high school um, social studies, you know, teacher, the idea is like, how do we ensure that as a freshman, we're on the, you know, the plan to graduate? And the idea is like, we want that progression. So the articulation from group to group can happen. And that's really kind of what we do. We have all four of those things. And because they're in one system, I like to say we can create this, feedback loop where you go from, oh, I'm going to teach something. I'm going to grade it. I'm going to analyze it. I'm going to plan how to make what I'm trying to teach better. And now I start to cycle over again. And I think that when we can get that feedback loop really short, it can make us better teachers. It can make us better educators. It can make us better students and better family supporters, right? If we're a family member, how do I help my kid? Well, this can help complete the picture. And, And that's, not quite in a nutshell, bigger than a nutshell, probably not quite an elevator pitch because we've gone up and down the elevator a couple of times, but that's really in depth of kind of what Otis does. Is we have all these tools together and we then provide that ability to see what is actually happening, that transparency to student performance. Very cool. Very cool. And, and you know, one of the things that I want to make sure I ask you is, so how does a school system get started using Otis? I mean, where, where do they start? Yeah. So really they can start by going to, uh, Otis.com and they can start by a demo, but once they get a demo and they see there are a lot of entry points, right? Maybe you want to start with the teaching aspect, or maybe you want to start with the assessment, or maybe you want to start with the analyzing, or maybe you want to start with the plans like this progress monitoring. We have um, nearly 40% of our company are former educators. We really take um, our client success seriously. We 
give each group an onboarding coach. We then have an implementation, you know, plan. And we then have a district help us know where to start because each district's different. Each district has their own challenges, their own obstacles, but they're also their own goals and initiatives. And Otis itself is just a platform. It's like if you go to Home Depot or any you know hardware store, it's like you have to have a plan of what you're trying to do. You can't just go, wow, that that jackhammer or uh, chainsaw seems really cool. Well, what are you going to do with it? It's like you got these really cool pieces of equipment. What's the plan? We're that cool piece of equipment that can be like multifunctional, but we work with the districts to really say, are you doing standards-based grading? We have an amazing platform to support and grow your standards-based grading initiative. Are you trying to make sure like with, you know, learning loss post-COVID, are you trying to identify where kids are at and then be able to make sure that we catch up that learning loss that happened? We have the system to do that. Really a wide gamut of what's possible. But those conversations start by going to Otis.com, scheduling a demo so we can kind of walk through where we best fit. And it's really an exciting time as we are growing. I, I saw here, you noted it. We're almost we're in 200 school districts now. Just in the last, this I got to get this updated on my uh, my resume. My bio is outdated. It's historical. I got to get it updated so it's uh, that's included. That that's good stuff. I mean, because so you've gone from 160 to 200 now. That's awesome. It, so and by the way, when are you coming to Georgia, man? I'm in Georgia. I mean, and I noticed that's that's not on your map. I. Georgia, we got we got a couple in Georgia. I'll have to look exactly where we do have a couple in Georgia. But yeah, I think it's one of those things where we focus on certain states and we kind of are the the number one way we grow, which I think is a true testament to the team is neighbors tell neighbors of referrals. And so that way it becomes a little bit more. I think we would have grown even a little bit more in that way into like Georgia and things like that. Except, you know, what ended up happening is educators typically would travel and they would tell each other at these conferences with conferences kind of being shut down. We saw much more regional growth where, you know, I'm Illinois, huge growth. We have a a lot of growth in California, a lot of growth in like Idaho, a lot of growth in New Jersey. And so what's happening, but we're going to we're going to have to make it a point. So maybe some of your listeners can kind of reach out. Hopefully we can get into Georgia, too. I know we have a couple, but we definitely want to continue to grow even more. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. You know, I got to get you to, to give me that one thing. What, why should they, you know, what's that one thing that makes you just so different that they should choose Otis? Yeah, I think that, I think the differentiator between us is that we understand that you need the tools that can talk to each other. And if we really need, if we're really going to grow if we're going to impact student performance, we need a system that can, teach, grade, analyze, and plan in one. And I think when you are able to have a comprehensive profile of a kid or a group of kids, you can then make better impact on what they need and do. And I think that's really the biggest differentiator is we allow you to have that insight and act on that insight in the same platform instead of having to take it to a different platform to to do one or the other. Excellent. You know, Chris, this has been awesome. Uh, We're getting close to finishing up. Uh, before we close, if someone wanted to connect with you or learn more, where would you send them? Yeah, so if they want to learn more about Otis, it's definitely uh, otus.com is our, our website. You can learn more. If they want to get in touch with me, you can reach out on LinkedIn. That's Chris Hull, H-U-L-L. I'm also on Twitter, um, which is Otis Hull. Um, 
which is O-T-U-S-H-U-L-L. And those are the, the best ways right now to get in contact with me. Um, also, you could just email me, which is just Chris, C-H-R-I-S, at Otis.com. It's the nice part about being one of the first, right? You get to pick just your name. So it's an easy one to share out. Any of those ways, I think one of the things we try to do and one of the things I try to do personally is we always want to get better, always focusing on what's more difficult than it should be and how do we get better every day. And as school starts up this year, that's that's really the focus again. How do we get better every day? Excellent. Very cool. Uh, another question just kind of thought about it, which is, uh, do you have any, uh, so where's Otis going right now? You got any other future products coming out? You got something else that you got working on that uh, is top secret in the lab behind the, the red door? I mean, what? <laughs> Yeah, so right now um, we just released this great progress monitoring plans feature. That was our big release this summer. This this year we're really focused on ensuring that we listen to our users so that we can grow. Our long-term vision, you know, kind of that secret vision, that secret door, that secret panel is we really want to begin to find ways as we get better to provide an assistant, a, a teaching assistant for educators or a personal assistant for students and families that is kind of driven by machine learning and trying to help do some of these administrative tasks that I've kind of referenced in this conversation today, take those off the plate, get them done so that we can focus on the teaching and learning. But that, I do have to be honest, that's a little bit away. I think that there is some things that we're seeing where, oh, maybe we can recommend um, what standard this is attached to. Some of that might be sooner, but some of the real game changing and like, you know, way that's going to happen is something we're looking into. We're working with some great people to kind of be on the forefront of that. Um, but we really want to be able to be the platform that assists you in maximizing learning for all kids. Excellent. 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 So I got two last questions that are just questions I like to ask my guests. And the first one goes like this. How do you keep going when so much is going on that you may want to quit? Oh, man. Um, I think I, I try to remember what I did when I first walked into the classroom, you know, in 2007 and eight. I think it's I think when you know you're helping learning and you know you're helping kids find themselves, uh, it's just really rewarding. And while I don't always get to see those aha moments, I, I tell myself and I hope that I'm still helping teachers reach that. And if, if, if that's happening, then I think that's the most motivating thing that can happen. And there are times where frustration hits where all of a sudden you're trying to deal with, you know, you're trying to solve some problem or we sometimes call them fires where all of a sudden there's an emergency. There are moments where it's like, man, how do I do this? And I think it's always about taking the step back and saying like, I'm helping maximize learning for kids and there's always tomorrow. So do the best I can today. And then again, tomorrow, try to do the best I can again. And if I get better every day, I, I think that helps you continue. That's also kind of, um, kind of the driving philosophy I believe in is, you know, wake up and every day is a new day and do the best you can. Excellent. I love it. And last question. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? Yeah, this question, man, when you're a teacher, you think about, I have, uh, I live in the town I taught in. So I actually run into a lot of my former students. And I think as a, having a, having a student say, thank you is honestly one of the greatest, greatest moments out there to know. I actually just ran into a former student who's at Yale. And I was like, I knew you in seventh grade and now you are clearly 
way smarter than me. You probably were smarter than me in seventh grade, but now it's, it's that, that kid is awesome. Um, but for my teachers, I, it's hard for me to select just, just one, but there, there, there's four that really, I always think about which, uh, I had a, a seventh grade English teacher named Miss Balliot who got me into reading and just the, I love to read. I love to be able to learn. And she understood that school was not my favorite. I was not the most academically driven person. I like to learn, but it wasn't always for like grades in school. And she really unlocked like, yeah, then read for yourself, read for understanding. Um, I would always thank her for that. She actually taught my, my brother and sister as well. I also had a math teacher in seventh grade who brought the idea of connections and being authentic. He was just the most authentic teacher I had met. And it was one of those things that don't try to pull it over. Kids are the greatest lie detector. And I, I, I was lucky enough to, in my teaching career, go back and observe when I was getting my teaching certificate, observe his class. And I thanked him. And then it was really two college professors. One was uh, Dr. Katz, who was uh, my uh, advisor, who I also took every class he ever offered. He really taught me that that's what I wanted to do. He's the one who said, yeah, I need to teach. And the other was another advisor was my uh, religion, my world religions uh, professor, Dr. Woodyard, who just really taught me that there are philosophies that can guide you and they can guide you in life and they can help you figure things out. So again, that wasn't a quick answer. None of my answers have been quick today, but those are some of the teachers and there's so many more and there are mentors I had who are teachers and colleagues, but those are the four that really always stand out that I, always try to say thank you to. And I did actually at one point write notes to all of them. And it's something that, uh, again, if you have a teacher did it, I, there's nothing better than having just knowing that a student remembered you because for a year, when you're a teacher, sometimes it's more than a year if you loop with a kid, but you put so much heart and soul into it, so much effort into it, just knowing that you made an impact. That's, you know, going to your last question of like, what keeps you going so you don't quit? It's knowing that that impact is possible and knowing that you can really make that, that big a difference. I love your answer. That's so awesome. And uh, that's so cool that you've taken time to write those notes. And, and I got to tell you, you do, you do live for those moments. That is so, so incredible. Thank you so much for sharing. Chris, uh, this is so, this has been awesome today. And uh, uh, I can't thank you enough for sharing your story as well as Otis with us today. I mean, what a powerful tool for measuring and monitoring student progress. You, you have an incredible focus. Uh, I'm wishing you the best in all you do. Thank you very much. Really appreciate being on today. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts, Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.